and welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Bree. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Are you ready? Always ready. Let's do it. All right. Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to Big Witch Energy. we're so excited to be here. This is our first episode. Can you believe Very it? Very excited. I know. Are you ready to talk about this episode? This is like <sighs> the episode. The it start is. off, the kickoff. Oh my God. Does it? It kicks off hard. It kicks off way hard. The hardest of any freaking TV series ever. Ever. And I don't know if that was a good kick or a bad kick, but I mean, I was on the floor. Were you on the floor the first time you was, watched this? I got kicked in the face. And yes. The <laughs> I got kicked in all the places. But it really grabbed me. So that's that's the thing. Yes. And it did not let go, which is um, why we're here. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So let's dive right into this. No more wasting time. Okay. So Motherland Fort Salem, the pilot episode called Say the Words. And how does this episode start off? With mall attack on conscription day, which is the most jarring way to ever start a television show ever considering this is a show where it's like world building and you don't know what's going on from the get-go they're like well here's mass murdering welcome to the show (laughs) (laughs) welcome to fort salem where we mass suicide we're not even in fort salem in the first scene it's It's just like in the vicinity we're in a mall (laughs) but anyway this was the first kick that i felt and uh it's a scene that really sticks with you so I just, just a couple things on this scene, other than the fact that it's a very bold way to start a pilot. But the first thing we see is like this balloon falling in the sky and a title card that reads conscription day. And, and if you were like me watching this and had no idea what that word was, I already confused balloon conscription. What does that mean? So I looked it up and it means compulsory enlistment for state service, typically into the armed forces. So this is a day when a bunch of people are going to get enlisted. And we're starting with a balloon, which interesting choice. But again, it just gets weirder and weirder from there. And, you know, there's this girl in a red coat waiting in the mall for this balloon to drop. And she does this magical incantation. The balloon pops. And then all these people just like fall from the second story of the building and just like splat onto the floor. And that's that's the beginning. That is that's the start of the show. Fall, they jump. They jump. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, spoiler for later, but yeah, they're jumping. And if you, if you really go back and watch the scene, when, when the balloon pops, all these people start running and, you know, some people are already jumping, but all these people start running and they do a close up of where they're running. And instead of like exiting the mall, which like during mass confusion, this is a, an emergency, you would exit the mall, but the people are, um, running up the stairs from like the first floor to the second floor to the balcony to jump off and it's when you don't know anything about what's happening or like the magic involved with it it's just so weird but yeah these people are committing suicide essentially which again what a way to start a show yeah and we have no idea what's going on we're just here watching all of these people die die and it's (sighs) it's it makes a very big statement yes 
And you wonder who the hell this girl is that just walks into a mall, has a balloon, and... Okay, wait. No, she doesn't have a balloon. This is my favorite part. I feel like she could have walked in there with the balloon, because you see other balloons decorating the mall. This girl is like, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna go all out with this. She's in the mall and summons the balloon from the heavens. <laughs> right, the balloon comes from the, through the ceiling, right? Oh my God. So it's like outside and the snow is falling and then the balloon. How the hell did she do that? Magic? I don't know. Listen, I understand that we're dealing with witches here, but this defies the laws of physics. <laughs> it does. It adds to the confusion. It does. That's happening. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? I'm discombobulated even now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then, yeah, the, the balloon girl, who is this girl? But she does give us one hint of why she's there, I guess, because when she's leaving, all proud of herself, she says, we are the spree. So we get a hint of, like, this organization she's potentially a part of that was behind this attack at the ball. And other point of confusion. We find out later in the episode that there's 1,600 people at this ball. What time is it? Because... Why is this mall crowded? Like, when was the last time you saw a crowded 90s, mall? The 90s, the 90s. That's when. <laughs> right. Like, what, what year is this? It's so weird. So, again, it builds on the confusion. And the other thing we get in the scene that's a theme kind of going forward is when she's doing her little, like, spree magic, we get the spree mu music, which is this really creepy, sinister, like, Flight of the Bumblebees song. It's so good, though. Oh, it's so good. And just anytime you hear it, it's like one of those songs that like your skin prickles because you're like something is about to go down that isn't going to be good. It ratchets up tension is what that does. It, yes, it does. And it's just it's a constant theme throughout the show when the spree are about to do something. Yeah, I love it. It's so good. Just to kind of end that scene after the mall mass murdering, the girl gets in the car drives away in the blizzard and then we see more spree magic where she takes the lighter from the like the cigarette lighter from the car presses it to her face and we see that the spree is also capable of changing faces so she goes from like this like hazel-eyed uh, brown hair girl to like this red-haired creepy ass chilling blue-eyed girl with this smirk on her face and she just drives off into the blizzard and it's just that's the beginning of the show <laughs> It's wild. Whoever that actress is, is just, I mean, oh. we're not saying that she herself is creepy, but the actress is really good at making creepy facial expressions. Oh my God. Like, so, oh, she really is. Jeez. I did not, I mean, grief. I don't want to meet her in an alley. No, I, I swear thing. casting was like, listen, we need the creepiest person who showed up today and just like, was like you. Yes, you. You did it. Get on the show. I mean, yes. Nailed it. Oh, so that's the intro to the show. The intro to the it's show. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable right now, remember. Oh, yes. No, just reminiscing makes me uncomfortable. Just, wow. So that's the beginning of Motherland Fort Salem. Murder at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like like a, a one of those teen book series. I will murder, say this, like Nancy though. Drew. Murder at the mall. <laughs> Nancy Drew, murder at the mall. But I will say this. When she said, uh, we are the spree, 
the first thing that came to my mind was candy because you know oh. that candy but from the like i think that was popular in the 90s too <laughs> so all i could th- i was like what is the spree like candy what are they candy <laughs> candy terrorists like this is a halloween candy poll they're like yes witches <laughs> halloween <laughs> spree the Reese's gang <laughs> wasn't available yeah today. <laughs> Spree's like second rate candy. Right, I know it's not even good candy. (laughs) What a terrible choice. But yeah, and I also love the way she says we, and I'm like, girl, you're by yourself. Who's yeah? (laughs) You got multiple personalities or something? Yeah, well, I mean, she has multiple faces. Maybe that's the we. Hey, maybe it is. That's true. She knew what she was doing. I guess we're just we're just confused and lost in the sauce at this part. Yeah. After we are introduced to the show via this murder murder at the mall we we get the the theme song in the opening credits which there's a lot to unpack here and we will talk about it in the next episode after the characters are introduced so we're gonna skip it for now but just know that we love it and it's epic so we will not be not talking about it yeah don't worry we're gonna come back yes we're just we want to put it in context when it makes sense but that gets us to uh the first introduction of a character. Yes, we get our first protagonist, and this is Rael, aka literal lesbian Jesus. And so throughout this sh- entire show, I will be making the argument that Rael is literal lesbian Jesus. Just get ready for that. Not to take the crown or the halo from Haley Kyoko. We love you, girl. You're the real one in real life, but in this context of the show, I'll get into it. You have to because you had to convince me of this. I did. Once you see it, you cannot unsee it is all I'm saying. So come on the journey, friends. (laughs) Yeah. Let me know if I convinced you by the end. So we get to rail and we're in a different part of the world, I guess, because or America. The title card for her reads Chippewa Session. So this is the part of the country that she's in. And it opens with her. It kind of like this gives you kind of a little picture of like what this area of the world is. So it's like this kind of like country looking southern-ish place there's a pickup truck there's like tall grass there's like a shack looking home where like the number of the the address number is like kind of askew so you get the sense that rails from humble beginnings like jesus and <laughs> <laughs> out in the rural areas out, out in the boonies uh with her super gay plaid coat and just like okay just soak in this look everyone because unfortunately it doesn't last but it's so good good job Good on and you, And her costume. inability to wear a jacket. Oh my god. Wait, this will keep coming up. Who taught this girl how to wear a jacket? Because she has no idea. Like, none. It's, like, twisted in the back. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But that's Rael. That's, that's who she is. And another thing we get in this, like, establishing shot as she's, like, kind of walking into the house is we get this yellow tint. And this is Lesbian Jesus Argument Part 2. So this, like, yellow sun kind of hue is this constant thing that shows up through Season 1, and it keeps popping up a lot when rails on screen um because she's like a healer spoiler alert and i think she's like an allegory for a sun god so this like halo hue follows her around a lot and i will be pointing it out every time it happens well it's significant so you kind of have to gotta bring up color theory so yes so we get rail in her super gay clothes her humble beginnings and the yellow sun that follows her everywhere and then once she goes inside rails greeted by like a neighbor i hope who like gives her money in a casserole and i was <laughs> she's just it, i was so confused by this i'm like who is this woman she seems to know you and she's giving you money like should i call child protective services like, what's <laughs> breaking and entering again breaking and entering yeah there's like crimes happening 
but uh, it seems really cool or whatever. And you also get your first glimpse at Rail's dad, who's in front of like an ancient television. But so also like, what time is this? What is this television? So we're establishing a lot of weird stuff in this, these, two, these two scenes. And so after uh, they exchange the casserole and the money, they go into, Rail and the woman go into her room. And I, what I love in this scene um, so this is the scene where Rael essentially heals her and she heals her by doing this like Christian prayer. Again, lesbian Jesus literally heals her with a Christian prayer. Ding, uh, ding. Well, two actually. So it's Matthew 7, 7. That's the one where she's saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. That's that one. And then the second one she does is Matthew six thirteen, which is for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I am not a Christian like anymore. So I'm not an expert in this at all, but I, when I was looking this up, I found the passage that comes right before Matthew 7, 7. And I think it's really interesting. And it's kind of like alluding to this whole entire world that Elliot's building. So the line goes, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before swine. If you do, they may, may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you into pieces. And so if you kind of break that up and think about that in the context of the show, so do not give dogs, dogs are like non-witch people, what is holy, holy is their like magical work. Do not throw them your pearls, which again is like the work that the witches do before the swine, which is like the unappreciative non-witches. Because if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. That's kind of what's happening to the witches like in this whole show. Wait, so so are, are muggles in this world dogs? Yeah, I mean, in the context of I know, I'm just, well, I like, just had to, I had to say it. I think dogs are like like aggress. It's like aggressive is what yeah, they're kind of getting at there. It the is swine are like sneaky. Yeah, so I think that's. It, I just found that very interesting. That I'm like, mm, that sounds like the show. <laughs> I did too. You know, this man doesn't just do anything lightly. No, no. Elliot, the show creator, he wrote this episode. He admitted that like he's been thinking about this show for like decades like obsessed with it and so there is every single thing in the show is extremely purposeful which is what makes it so fun so i just find things like this i'm like "Mm, that's probably why he picked that and also another key part about this so rail heals the woman and you see that through her like christo pagan kind of magic that she takes on some of the ailments you see the boil on the woman transfers to rail which is like different than the other work we see with the other healers later in the show, but that's unique to rail. So like taking on your burdens, like Jesus, again, it's all right there, people. Um. <laughs> Drink every time she proves it's lesbian Jesus. Yes. Yeah. If you're water, if you're of age, yes. If not water, hydrate, <laughs> hydrate for lesbian Jesus. <laughs> that should be a t-shirt hydrate for lesbian Jesus. When we do merch. <laughs> <laughs> I trade for lesbian Jesus. But yeah, so that's pretty much Rael. And and a couple of things I wanted to point out also, like on the lesbian Jesus train, while this whole healing thing is happening, you see like the haloed light coming through the bedroom window onto them. So again, the light is following her everywhere. And in this scene also, I love that they don't actually introduce Rael's name, but the way they choose to do it is when they're coming in the room, the they take a couple of shots of all those postcards all over Rael's wall. And it closes up and you see it's two rail collar. So that's actually how they introduce her. And if you look really, really, really closely at like the second one, it, you can see who wrote it and it says love mom. And that hurts so bad. Oh. <laughs> I know. So all these postcards everywhere on her wall are from her mother. And it just, it says a lot about rail just by looking at her room. She's close, close to her hero worships her mom in a way. 
she hero worships mama Ugh, and it's so sad and we don't see mama so that that hurts and also in this scene which is interesting too is when they're when they're talking um or earlier when the casserole exchange happens rails has a couple of choice words the woman is basically like hey like thanks for the service you're about to do when you get conscripted today and rail uses some like choice words where she's like she calls it a sacrifice like she calls it um what'd she say She's like a permanent vacation I'm never coming back from. So you, you get the sense that like this conscription thing, it rails not on board with it from this little tiny scene. With the sarcasm level in this, it was... Oh my God. The sass. The sass. The sass. Love her sass. <laughs> and one last thought on this, this whole scene too. I think it's interesting that when they introduce Rael, they also bring a lot of like that Christian lore into it, which is interesting when you like look at the broader picture of like this world because you'll see a lot of like paganism from different areas of the world that kind of get mixed into like what the witches do but in this particular air pocket in the session you see that there's a christian influence so i thought that was very interesting the way they brought that up here with um, when the woman greets her she says like god bless and they're doing the christian prayer so i thought that was very interesting it's just really reminiscent of the South. Like, yeah, like the South doesn't change even in fantasy America, I guess. Apparently, because whenever you, they introduce Rael and you see everywhere she lives, it looks like where I grew up, basically, in rural, in the rural South. Like, I grew up sort of in, in towards the cities, but when we used to visit uh, family, it just, it, driving along, it looked just like where Rael lives I mean all of that and even the like the, the gop it's just like that Christianity is baked into the culture there oh yeah so yeah so somebody who also grew up in the south with like giant crosses everywhere and so right? mm -hmm, yeah this is pretty accurate yes it is and now I'm more uncomfortable <laughs> yeah me too because it wasn't I mean it's like, not always great but it, yeah the because of Whatever. humans because humans yes so because humans but anyway any other thoughts on this scene i just i'm I'm always when i think about this scene i'm always stuck on how my very first thought when i saw rael was oh she's pretty and then my second thought was oh she's gay yeah so <laughs> uh, reverse those thoughts is that was my thought i'm like wow this is the gayest character i've seen yet I'm listening. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the way she's got that jacket half on her shoulder, it's just like, girl, you think that is that cool? Is that what's cool in this world? Is there like, I don't know. Um, but I just love the the mythology that even comes along with just one character. We're already like deep into the weeds in mythology after you know one scene with her, so. You just get really excited to see what comes next. Totally. But that gets us to our next intro of a main character, which is Abigail. Mm. So we're in New York and we come Ooh. in on another drop shot from, from the sky. And she's on the she's on the roof of this building looking looking around with her binoculars. She, you can already tell she's like super military, just the way her demeanor is and the way she just looks over the city like it belongs to her. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you've got this fella that walks up and he's he's right on. He is on her like white on rice. His name is Paul, but nobody cares. <laughs> Not at all. Get him off my screen. So, yeah, <laughs> he's trying to get her to come back inside and being real 
cute and like kissing on her and she's just like having none of it she's like we've already done our goodbye i've moved on you know gtfo but uh and then she tells him something that's kind of interesting and important that she can't see him after she takes the oath which is conscription day so you assume this has something to do with her going into the army and then he tries to convince her and she's like talks to him in this manner where it's like a witchy command and all of a sudden he is totally compliant and does what she says then she tells him not to walk into traffic so i'm like is he in a trance is he literally going to walk out into traffic and then you're like yeah so she actually did make sure that he was going to get home okay so that's good abigail but um she has a heart, I guess. She has a heart, I guess. But she, not that we love, we love Abigail. This but, is not an um, Abigail Hate podcast. We have to say that now. It's not an Abigail Hate podcast. She's just hard she's to just, like in the first season. Yeah. She's so, she gives off this, like, such a haughty attitude that it's, it's hard to get into her character. And that's what, that's the point. So kudos to Ashley, Nicole Williams on that. But do you have anything on this one? I love, I will, positive thing about Abigail, I love her misandry. This comes up later where she's just like, boy, yes. I can't even, we're done. Like, get away from me. I'm going to go into battle, blaze glory. Like, get the hell away from me. Like, we've been through this. We've been through this. Like, go away. Dude, I've got important shit to do. She does. And so I kind of love that from her because you rarely see it with women. It's usually like guys who are just dismissive of women. Whereas with Abigail, she's so singularly focused on like being the best soldier ever that she has no space for like other people, like including romantic partners. So I just love that about her. She's just so focused on what she's doing. She's just like, I don't have space for you. Like, get a, like take your feelings and like, just don't walk into traffic. Like get away from me. So I yeah. do love that about Abigail. And so that comes up, that comes up a lot with her. So it's a, I love that that's the first intro to her too. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, no, because it's also the first intro to the uh, gender role swap. Yes. Oh, That yes. we get in the show. Totally. So it's the first time you see, get an idea that this show is going to be different as pertains to how men and women are in society. Totally. So that's that's like the bit, the biggest thing in this scene, in my opinion. Agreed. But then it also, uh, right after that, we go to another introduction with Tally. Tally. The walking exclamation point. Best description ever. I love her so much. We're introduced to Tally as she's like watching the news about this attack that happened in the mall. And she's totally shooketh. And the news, which is the first time, like, another time we see the news come up that is uh, kind of important to give us information about the spree. Uh, and they're talking about this organization. And you have to, like, think about in this newscast, they call it a suicide bomb. So there's our first real them saying that it was suicide and you get the idea that this is one of the things that the spree's done before. And there's also a sense of what is up with the timing. It's on conscription day and they're doing an attack. So that's significant. And then you get a, a cut in the scene and it goes to her mom in the next room who's, who's cooking. And then she kind of just throws the food she's making into the sink and gets huffy with Tally's telling her she can cook her own goodbye dinner. So we know Tally's about to uh, probably be conscripted as well. And then 
Tally just runs in like the little like bunny rabbit she is and hugs her mom and it's adorable and you just see how much she loves her mom but at the same time like they've been arguing about this you can tell they've been arguing about this for a long time yeah it's, it's just very upsetting the whole thing you can see that they both really love each other and they're both kind of scared but it's just they're on two sides of this issue and you can see that it's taking a toll on both of them basically yeah and one side note I tried, tried, tried to see what on earth Mama, Mama, uh, Mama Craven was making. <laughs> Cause I was like, is it mushrooms? And I could not tell. She like throws the pan into the water too quickly. But in my head canon, Mama Craven sauteed mushrooms for Tally. That's, that's just the Anytime someone's cooking in this show, it's mushrooms. It's mushrooms. <laughs> that's just, that's it's just canon. Favorite. It's my favorite thing that is never explained and I never want an explanation. Yeah, I love don't, it. Just don't explain it. That's one of those things where you just, it's a, it's a piece of the lore. No, it doesn't matter. Just that's what was happening. And one other thing, not that it applies in this scene, but you can tell from the way that, that Tally interacts with her mom in a way, even though they're arguing you can very much tell that she loves her mom and you can feel the affection coming off of her. And that's because uh, Jess Sutton is amazing and could have chemistry with a brick wall. So. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And from that scene, we go back to the Bellwethers. And so this is a scene, we go from a scene of Tally and her mom having a conversation to Abigail and her mother basically having a conversation about that pivots hard into, into conscription and you get kind of a sense of like what Abigail's home life is from this because she's in New York. And then from this room, you get the sense she's from money. Like it's a big, big room with a chandelier. They're on these ornate couches. And the the shift in tone in this conversation, it starts off with like their shared misandry over like her ditching the dude and then pivots so hard into this conversation about you better not let the bellwethers down. And like, you just see Abigail go from like laughing and having fun with her mom to just like soldier mode the minute her mom does that. And she's just like, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. It's not mom. It's very much like, I'm going to be the best soldier ever. I'm going to survive basic. I'm going to be the next great bellwether. And that's the whole conversation. And it's just, that's Abigail's life. So it kind of like paints a picture of like why she's so focused on all this you know, army stuff. And it's like, this was bred into her by her mother and likely from her whole family because mama lets it drop that, you know, the first bellwether was a slave and like, you know, made a name, we made this name and look at this big ass room we're in. Like you have to carry on the legacy basically is what the scene is. And Abigail just takes the whole thing in stride. Like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, and it's just very telling of Abigail as a person and her home life and the dynamic with her mother you you get the you get the very clear picture of why she is so a arrogant and b just driven she has no other choice there's this you can already tell that that petra has put this giant amount and not just petra everyone in the family it, we come to find out later but it just puts this giant amount of pressure on her and it gave me this scene gave me more appreciation for abigail totally again it, it paints the picture like this is abigail's life because it changes the focus for for, for me from abigail is, is this way to oh her family is molded her into this molded her into this and it just makes me eyebrow raise at petra yeah and, and to abigail's credit she does she takes it in stride and it's just again the pivot she's just goes from laughing to yes ma'am 
I'm going to get it done. And that that's Abigail. That's Abigail. And from Abigail and her mom, a conversation, we go back to the collars and we get Rael and her dad having, you know, another, this is all like the mother, not mother, but like parent daughter conversations all in a row. And I love what happens here because at the end of the bellwether scene, like the news comes on and like the spree is back on the news. Like they're the most popular show in this world. And that same news channel is playing in the collar household. So it's a very clever transition that they did. And in this, essentially the scene, Rail's looking at pictures of her mother and her dad gives Rail her the collar battle charm in this because it's, they're like minutes away from conscription happening. And so they have this, this chat where, you know, he explains this is a battle charm. You know, it's been passed down from collar woman to collar woman all the way up to you. And it's supposed to protect you in battle. And so, you know, they kind of hug and Papa says the the key phrase, like, I can't lose you too. So from here, you're kind of getting at the confirmation that Mama Collar's not around anymore. There's letters everywhere. Rail's looking at pictures fondly of her mother as this is all happening. And so you get the sense that something happened to Mama Collar and it wasn't good. Yeah. yeah, dad's giving her the charm and you're like, okay, well, if she was alive, wouldn't she A, give it to her and B, be wearing it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's very sad. You already kind of know what's going on. Uh, and the, the charm itself is is a bowerbird claw. And they like anything blue if you look up bowerbirds. So it's holding a blue rock. It sure is. And that totally comes up with the collars because they seem to the collars, the collars like seem things. to like people with blue eyes. <laughs> Take a good look at Edwin. <laughs> and uh, then from this scene, they do my other favorite transition. When this scene starts too, they start doing the countdown with the clock. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Like the 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 use of transitions in this particular episode is so seamless and just they they very they did it very creatively. And so I absolutely adore that about this particular episode, the way they transition scene from scene with like the news programs and like the clock in this scene. It's it's very good. I love it. The news being the only thing that's on TV in this world. There's a scene, it might have been this one, where Papa Collar changes the channel and it's a, from one news station to another. And I'm like, is there anything else on this television? There isn't even like PBS? I don't know. No. <laughs> is there a sports game playing somewhere? It's just no constant spree news. Yeah, do they do not have sports? No, it's no, all it's about mass all news. Oh, terrorists. Just turn it off. I don't like it. I'd never watch TV if that was the case. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, yeah, that countdown takes us uh, to back to Tally in who's in her room and she's just packing. Then her mom shows up and round two of let's talk about how I don't want you to go to the army. And she calls it the lottery of death, which is a very that that is a very poignant phrase. Yeah. that she uses i kind of like it though in the way that it just tells you everything that she feels about tally going into the army and it is in a way because you're not going to leave the army until you die as as a witch so yeah the state owns you forever conscription is just i mean it's just not fair but um so i i sympathize with her mom in that regard but Tally's not having it, so she just backs her mom out of the room and locks her out without saying anything. And uh, then, guess what happens? It's midnight. Well, I assume it's midnight because 12 noon doesn't make sense to me for this to be 
yeah happenings because it's min- like midnight on your on your 18th birthday I'm, I'm i'm gonna guess i guess so then the first title card was a lie because it wasn't conscription day if we're changing into the next day it was conscription eve so we didn't lie to us and gaslight us from the beginning elliot what the hell yeah can you can you give us an answer on that please I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's a deal. So I need to know. In any case, we're into conscription now. And some sparkling appears in the middle of the room. And then Tally starts saying the words as the sparkles get more and the sparkles get more intense. So she's locked in her room. She's saying this and she's so thrilled. Like you can see, she's so excited. And I kind of love that for her. But at the same time, it's like, girl, what are you getting yourself into? But uh, it cuts to Abigail, who says the next part of the words. Yeah, they're cutting between everybody who's saying the words. And then uh, we get to Rael, who finishes it off. And then the metal drops into her hand. Or a metal appears and drops into her hand. And she's, like, not happy about this. You can kind of tell. The tears going, and she just clenches her fist around it, and it's... Or if you look at it, it's like a dog tag. It's like the the witch version of a dog tag, which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, the it's a very fancy metal with, like, witch emblems and, like, America military emblems, so it's it's something to be proud of, but, like, Rael looks anything but proud to be holding this thing, which is very indicative of mm. her. But I will say, what I really, really love about this scene is as they're cutting through the three protagonists, all saying the words at the exact same time, it, I, I love that they're all in very different headspaces. Like, Tally is choosing to do this despite what her mother wants, um, despite the fact that she could get out of this if she wanted to. She's choosing to say these words, and she's just alone by herself making this choice and is just proud of herself. Whereas you have Abigail in the room with Mama Bellwether literally hovering over, hovering over her shoulder. And Abigail is reciting this thing like she's practiced this before. You know, like the kids that sing in front of like mirrors and hairbrushes like that. I picture Abigail doing these words over and over again. And so she's like born to do this. And then you have poor Rael, who as she's saying this, like her voice is cracking. Like, she, like, she's, like she's being forced to do it at gunpoint and doesn't want to do this. And you just see it when she gets the medal, like her jaw clenches and she's just like, ah. Oh. I didn't want to do this, but I was forced to. So it's just very, three very different perspectives from these three very different people from three very different parts of the country. And it's just fascinating. Yeah. I, I really love everything about this yeah. whole, whole sequence, especially the, we, back in Abigail's introduction scene, we get a lot of patriotic symbolism. Like there's a parade going on. There's just, you know, like, it's like ticker tape parade type thing going on and and then we're here and you've got this medal that's basically just your your army dog tag and it's got like sparkles i don't know it just reminded me of the fourth of july a little bit like this is like the patriotic day of the year yeah i mean it's the day the military grows so yeah i guess it is Speaking of which, from this scene, we go to the heart of the military, which is Fort Salem, which is in Massachusetts. In finally! Case. Yeah, because we're finally at Fort Salem, which is the title of the damn show. So it this basic scene gives us like an overview of, you know, what it looks like. Brick buildings, typical Massachusetts. And we cut into the room where all the cadets, the newly conscripted cadets are sitting and they get this big speech from the HBIC Sarah Alder. And you come to find out through this speech that this is the Sarah Alder, like the one from 300 plus years ago that 
made all of this possible with the Salem Accord, which you're like, what the hell is this woman still alive? What is your skincare routine? Let us know. Yeah, we need to know. So yeah, she basically gives a speech where she's essentially like trying to like build them up and be like, you know, this is a great day and all this stuff. And it ends with her hinting that like, you know, take stock of the fact that you're in a witch's place. Like, so telling us that Fort Salem is witches only. So that makes this a very unique place in the world, or at least in America. And she hints that like there are dark days ahead. And she says the line, we live in a time of ancient hatred and emerging threats and then transitions from that into the spree. So you get the feeling that like the spree is this thing she's talking about. But the word ancient is very like odd because Elliot in interviews has said that the spree's only been around for like 20 years. So 20 isn't ancient, especially to a 300 year old woman. So yeah. you get the sense that there's something else kind of simmering in the background that we just don't know anything about yet because we're doing world building. And so a very interesting choice of words. Interesting kind of a speech and she gives us the catchphrase in here that we hear over and over again once she wraps this up about you know the thing we're gonna fight she says we will meet it with storm and fury which is like the army's motto i'm like sick of the word storm and fury by the the end of season one only because of the way that it's used but i also love it because it's the catchphrase yeah no it just yeah it's like oh god enough it becomes like this propaganda line for me when i'm like please stop saying this that's it it's propaganda and i'm like guys yeah, as somebody who lives in America and is constantly bombarded with American propaganda, it's like, enough, I can't. But it's so real, that's so I can't uh, be mad That's at it. why it's annoying, because it's real. That's why it's annoying. Thanks, Elliot. I know. I mean, he grounds, despite this being this, like, fantasy-type show, he very much grounds everything in reality, which is one of the things I truly love about the way he handles this material and all the characters. And that's how he makes you feel feelings. Yeah, and and so from here, after, like, Sarah Alder does like the witch version of a bike drop and like leaves and you kind of just <laughs> everybody starts stomping and it's like this big like yeah we're here moment and you see that everybody stomps except Raelle so to, again reinforcing yeah, the fact Raelle's that like, no. Raelle does not want to be here at all meanwhile like Abigail's like this is where I belong Tally's like bursting into tears because she's so happy and well that and I, she just saw her idol uh, like you can just tell from the way she's looking at Sarah oh Alder my God, sitting yes. in the crowd that she's idolizing this woman totally um but rail again is kind of the one who's there because she has to be there and just doesn't have it in her to fight any of this so very telling yeah she's not about it she's she's not accepted but is somewhat resigned to the fact that she has to be here absolutely resigned is the key word that is rail you can just see in the in all of her actions and all of her facial expressions good job taylor hickson that she is like playing anywhere but here and wishes she probably wishes she was at home of course she does yeah watching the news with papa collar yeah eating mushrooms (laughs) eating mushrooms eating mushrooms (laughs) so from there we get an introduction to one of my favorite characters ever in the world yes miss anacostia quartermain drill sergeant extraordinaire so we are at Cersei Barracks and all of the girl the new conscriptees are there being making friends, being being all giddy and, and meeting each other and then everything is silent because Drill Sergeant and Cassia Quartermain's in the house and she reveals that she deals with the, the cadets and, and basic and 
they're doing a new thing this year, which is that the cadets are going to be in units, which is interesting because I guess everybody was in, judged individually before this. And you wonder why the change, but Abigail's not happy about it because now she's got to depend on other people and she get the sense that she's not a depend on other people kind of person. So we like to call Anacostia Mama Costia because as, as hard as she is on them, she's like the mama. She's the army mama. So she's just kind of telling everybody, be, be a good soldier, do what I say, and you'll be fine. And she tells them that their sweet numbers are on the back of their medals and to go meet their unit. And everybody's just, you know, chilling there and not knowing what to do for a second. And she's like, now, ladies, which is like every drill sergeant I've ever met. So <laughs> that tracks. And then everybody scrambles out to go meet their unit, which gets us to the next scene with Raelle coming in again with her inability to wear a jacket. Oh, my God. She's just got it half off that shoulder. It's the cool thing to do in the session. I guess it's it's probably like the, the cool gay thing to do in the session. I don't know. I don't know. But Sure. <laughs> We see Sally. She's already putting her uniform on because she is that excited to be here. And then Tally is kind of takes it upon herself to introduce. It was like, oh, hey, here's a bellwether. And then that's when you kind of get the idea again that Abigail's family is really important in the army. But Abigail is being Abigail and Raelle is not here for it. And she's just kind of turned off by Abigail's raw, raw army kind of kind of attitude. But uh, then Raelle gets sassy, and I love it because Raelle's sass level is always off the chart. But especially in this episode, when you're just when she's just new and meeting everybody, uh, and they're asking, you know, they're kind of like asking, "Where are you from?" And Raelle says that she's from Chippewa Session near Carolina. Then we have Abigail saying she's from New York and Annapolis, so she's from two places, guys. Like she has houses everywhere. And you get this dynamic of the the rich girl versus the poor girl with Abigail and Raelle. So you've got them bickering and being unhappy about being around each other for the first time. In and then Tally trying to like make peace and being the go-between because she's the sweet one. And then we uh, talk about a very important thing for the first time, the witch's mark. So Abigail, uh, we asked to see Tally's witch's mark because it's kind of more obvious than other people's. It's right behind her ear. And then she tells her that they get shiny when you have sex, which is an interesting concept. So Okay, but then she flashes her own witch mark. She's like, like this, humble brag. It's like, to, like what? Abigail, who taught you how to talk to people? Yeah, you're so cool for having had sex, girl. Right, but like, how did we get to this conversation? Poor Tally explains the matrifocal compound, and she's like, yeah, there's no dudes. And Abigail very rudely is like, so you're a virgin? Is that what that means? Yeah. And Tally's like, yeah and it's like abigail what the hell and then she's like oh let me show you my sex mark and, it's like, <laughs> and keep in mind this is the first introduction these girls are getting to one this another is their first meeting. so abigail's over here being rude af 
looking down on Tally oh. for being a virgin and then Rude. And Tally being like, oh, no, I really have to have sex so I can catch up. No, and then it gets awkward again because by accident because Tally's just excited with this information. is like, hey, Rael, show us yours, basically. Rael's like, like no. listen, it's right next to my vagina. We're not there yet. I obviously cannot stand either of you right now. This isn't happening. So. You're definitely not seeing that. No, so that's their first meeting. Yeah. What a mess. It is a hot, hot mess. Hot, hot mess. But I mean. But I love the the whole conflict. They set up this conflict with these two. And it's kind of awesome. Because you just get all the sass. And uh, now I have I have a lot of questions about which marks. So. Yeah. Don't don't we all. <laughs> But don't worry, there's plenty more sass to come. But for now, we go to a transition of them at night in this little, like, trio witch circle thing. And they basically have this conversation where they're talking about, it looks like a ritual where they're kind of, like, putting flowers, sacred flowers or something in a fire and talking about all the people they've lost. And it basically just highlights that they've all basically lost people due to conscription and all of their female relatives essentially serving in the army. Abigail's like, yeah, yeah, I lost a bunch of people. And Tally's like, yeah, I lost everybody except my mom, which is why she got out of serving. So we learned that Tally's mom essentially got a legal exemption from being in the army. And that's why her mom is so like aggro about Tally not doing it because all the Cravens are basically, she's the last one. So it's like, they're at the point of extinction, some of these families, which is really sad, but it's the consequence of this forced conscription. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're going to have all these people fight in wars, you got to expect a bunch of them to die. So yeah. the, the bloodlines are going to die out, if you will. Right. And so it's. I think it's very important to note that because we're coming into this story at a point where witch lines are basically at the point of extinction, which is going to make people upset, like Tally's mom. So point of friction with all of this. So that's something Elliot's trying to set up here. And then we get to Raelle, who's the most upset, judging by the giant flame when she throws the flowers in there. And she lets it drop that her mother was killed about a year ago in Liberia. And so you get a sense of this is why Raelle was like dreading all of this. This was all the sadness with her, her dad looking at mama's pictures that her mom died. And it's clearly taking a giant toll on Raelle. And you know, Abigail, I, I like the the dialogue between Abigail and Rail here because Abigail, again, goes back into army mode where she's like, well, that's the job. This is what happens. Like, Abigail's accepted this growing up in, obviously, her family. And Rail's like, I don't think my mom was excited about this. She seemed scared and tired and just used up and wanted to come home. And, and, and you get the sense of that's how Rail views the army in this very unpositive way because of the way it used up and killed her mother. But it's also the propaganda versus reality conversation, too. So you've got Abigail going with all this propaganda has been just fed to her over, I mean, like, probably since she was a baby. And now Rael, whose mother, and yeah, Abigail had people die in her family, but it's it's not quite as impactful on her the way it was on Rael being her mother and being one of the only people that she had in her life family-wise so you do get that a sense of that as well the propaganda versus reality of war yeah i can see that and i also think it's it's a little bit different than that because you see the way abigail treats people and relationships to her they're 
she's like the army comes first and then love and feelings are later like the army comes first and you, and I get the sense that that's how their family views each other it's like you're a soldier first and you're my mom second you know yeah I lost my grandma's they were soldiers first they died honorable deaths so like they don't she doesn't have that connection to people that Rael clearly did and it's unclear at this point if that's because of the way her parents treated her it's because she grew up in the session we learn later her father is not a witch so maybe that influenced it but you get the sense that Rael Rael very much is hard on her sleeve all the time kind of person and she loves deeply and she loved her mother so much that it's making her so upset but Abigail's view on like relationships is very different and I think that's because of how the Bellwethers are just your army elite you're a soldier first human being third they have no space for those things so even in this moment of comfort I feel like she can't communicate that kind of comfort to Rael because Abigail doesn't know what that's like that she doesn't her the response from her I feel like the response from her family would have been like they died honorable deaths they were doing their duty and Abigail was like yes I accept that but Rael's like that is not the right thing to say to me like I lost my mom they're also from very different like you can tell that Rael's family is not a high up witch family so there's no expectations as yeah. far as that's concerned. No, totally. Exactly. So it stands to reason their their view on being soldiers and like human beings are two different things. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I think that's part of the scene. For sure. After they do their praying thing about the fallen, they go to their first vocal lessons and they're in this really cool room where you basically see all the units together on these like scaffolding looking things and they're all harmonizing and there's like water spewing out of this giant bird bath looking thing and Anacostia and some women are just like, yes, yes, good job, everyone. <laughs> and so you kind of like get the get the sense from here that vocals are like the big work that the witches do and that's the main mechanism for their magic. So you get an intro into that and this is part of basic and Anacostia is teaching them, but Rael's having none of this. And by the end of the scene, she just like fucks off and just leaves, which what are you, what are you doing, Rael? Whatever. Yeah, like everyone's participating, but Rael. Yeah, Rael's like, oh, I'm out. And she just, she just, she leaves. And uh, where does she go? Where does she go? Where does she go? That's, this is important because the first yes. thing you notice is her lesbian Jesus light is back. Yep. It's very yellow here. And it's a really great shot of her walking down this road and you see her come up to a bunch of tornadoes that are in this area. It looks like a little, just some kind of training ground. We get introduced to a very important character, Miss Scylla Ramshorn. Yes. There she is. There she is. Brown hair, really crazy, amazing blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, rails and all the trouble because then, and I also want to know where, where did you come from, Scylla? <laughs> you just happen to be out here too. Just don't worry about it. She's there. We're here. They, they start talking and you can tell right away that they're flirting. It's just, it's just so, it's just in your face. So Rael is like, shouldn't you be in training? And Scylla takes the beat and is like, shouldn't you? And it's probably like, it's like the sexiest sass line of the episode for me so of course lesbian jesus is in all the trouble oh yeah but wait i love this because they start talking and like you can tell by watching rael that she gets immediately that this girl is flirting with oh her, which, absolutely which is unrealistic because in real life lesbians have no idea that you're flirting with her. It, would t- <laughs> it would take like 10 years of therapy to understand that that was flirting but immediately rael's like 
oh, I see what's happening here because she's lesbian Jesus and she has powers we don't have. Yeah, see, this is this is another part of your argument. And yeah, and now I have to drink some water. But <laughs> hydrate for lesbian Jesus. Hydrate for lesbian Jesus. But it's so freaking obvious that they're introducing a love interest for Rail right off the bat. Then, unfortunately, they get twat blocked by three women, uh, three officers, I guess, who come up and were like, why are you out here? What are you doing? And they make up some really bad excuses. <laughs> and unfortunately, that gets them nowhere. And they get these, these letter Ds on their medals for, I'm assuming, demerit or something of that nature. And so it's like a little, a little, little bit of trash talking. You can tell they're super happy to be nailing these cadets already. And they tell them that their uh, drill sergeants already know that they're in trouble. So like, I'm sorry, we were looking for like the bathroom or something. And But anyway, they go away and you finally get this new girl's name. So she introduces herself as Scylla and they kind of walk off together. Oh, wait a minute. Brielle, like the Southern gentlewoman that she is, is like, walk you back. Should I walk you back? <laughs> like, that's some chivalry right there. So. In a total line. Come on. I mean, this whole scene is full of lines, but that one, she's, she, she's a gentlewoman. Lesbian Jesus is good at flirting. We'll say that. They both are. I mean, they're pretty equal in, in the the flirting category. 100%. So that was just a taste, everyone. Hope you enjoyed Yeah, I hope you enjoy your first, uh, our first interaction with Scylla because there's more to come. Yes. Uh, that gets us to our next scene where you find out that Rael's gonna see Anacostia again, who is not happy about her already getting a demerit, and Rael apologizes, and you can tell it's not sincere. <laughs> She's totally not sorry. Uh, but... Then Anacostia gives her this pep talk about how if she doesn't shape up, she's gonna she's gonna be shipped out and become war meat, and basically she's gonna die fast. And Rails, you can kind of tell she's like, "Hey, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that." <laughs> then Anacostia hands her this package, and it's a bunch of letters. And you're like, "Who? Are, what are these letters for?" You know. And Anacostia also points out that she's got a bellwether in a unit, and she should ride that to war college. So you're like, "Oh, okay. So this really is like the status girl." And you can you also get the sense in the scene that Anacostia really cares about these girls. She's just met them, but she is the mama. Mama Costia is here, and she's going to take care of her babies. And one one thing I just want to point out in this scene, I find this package she gets super suspicious. Because we find out later what's in the package. It's like all these letters from her mom conveniently about her last mission. And it says it's from Papa Collar. And it's like, wasn't she just with her dad yesterday? Why didn't he give that to her then? Like weird, right? That the timing of the letters is very odd. And I think that it's telling about Raelle up to this point that you see that she's they use the phrase later when they're doing like this montage about the spree that the spree prey on people who are ideologically vulnerable. And you get the sense from Raelle that she's kind of in that category because she's not on board with all this army stuff. She's here because she's forced to be here because she's, she's not a vagrant. She's not like a criminal who's going to just leave. 
So she's kind of like here. She's not in the headspace of I can fight back against this. She's just resigned to the fact that this is going to happen. And she's just like, just kill me now and get it over with because I don't want to be here. And that's kind of what the scene with Anacostia is. But then she gets these letters immediately that like are about her mom's last mission that like sparks some fire. All I'm saying is if you have an ideologically vulnerable girl who's not on board with the army, wouldn't it be a good idea to send her these kinds of letters like right when she gets there? That's all I'm saying. Look at you planting seeds. Mm -hmm. Just planting some seeds there. Uh huh. I I think Papa Collar may have wrote his name on that package. Maybe someone else who knows how to forge his name wrote it. All I'm saying is I don't think he sent these letters. I think someone else with a vested interest in Rayo sent the letters because the timing's too perfect and the content is very much like, see, the army is crap, right? Yeah. Remember? Remember what happened to your mom? Mm-hmm. so yeah that's yeah. that's an excellent point but Alrighty, so that's that's that scene and from there we shoot over to tally and abigail who are looking at the daily rankings because it's not enough that it's like you rise or fall as units so like this year they're taking away the individuality but now they're ranking them against each other and so they're at the bottom and abigail's pissed off so she confronts rail and they basically get into this fight where rail brings up her mother again Convenient timing, right? Bring up the bellwether and her mom. And Rail essentially says something about Greenville, which is the battle. And I guess uh, her mother was there, Mama Bellwether. And again, right, you know, Abigail's very much in army mode. where She's like, all battles are messes. Like, what do you want from me? And <laughs> Abigail's like, whatever. We're not having this conversation. I'm mad at you because we're ranked low and it's because you're shenanigans. And Rael uses has the best line of this episode in my opinion where she she her retort to that is call the commander in chief which (laughs) is just that's that is big witch energy right there like i love it so much the sass and they essentially they essentially keep fighting and, and tally tries to break it up where she's like hey guys let's meditate let's not do this and as they're fighting you hear the voices change so they start like getting emotional which triggers their work and they get it gets very heated until again the news is on always and always. they start starts talking about the spree who d- did another attack at a cruise ship and that just like ends the scene so it's like that pull back to reality where you have them bickering about stuff but like hey guys the bigger picture and the reason we need to work together is the spree are killing people yay on cruise ships even on a cruise ship i so never want to go on a cruise ship but this makes me even less likely to yeah 100 million percent and no thank you yeah absolutely not and from there we essentially go to a moment between tally and rail back in there back in Cer- the cersei barracks and uh rail at this point is very upset and she basically projects all her feelings onto tally where she's like why on earth are you even here you didn't have to be here because rail would love to trade places with tally and not be in the army and so tally expresses you know why she's here she's like look at all these attacks people are dying i have the power to do something how could i stand by and do nothing because tally is choosing to act whereas again rael it just feels very trapped in her situation she hates it but she's not willing to act against it basically is her kind of limbo right now and so rael basically has the line again pointing at her ideology in this moment where she says conscription is slavery by another name which 
Yes. I love this line so much. I could not agree more. And this is essentially what the spree is pissed off about because this is slavery. Once they're 18, the government owns them until they die, like you said. And so that is not okay with Rael. And so you see where she is ideologically vulnerable in the context of the spree. And, you know, Tally basically tries to rationalize this and she's like, whatever, like, we're going to do good. That's not the point. And, you know, Rail gets very upset about all this because she's back in the headspace of her mom getting killed and mm-hmm. starts projecting all this stuff. And they get on the subject of Sarah Alder. Oh, Lord, where, here we go. Yeah, where Rail's basically like, I can't with the Alder stuff. But Tally's like, hey, listen, agenda aside, like, remember, we're at Fort Salem. That's a witch's place. Like, at the very least, take stock in the fact that that's happening and that's so beautiful which is true like that's the silver lining in all this they they have a small part of the world at least in america where they get to just be with their own kind which you get a sense from like the world at large that that's not always the case you know right. so that is a that is a good point from from tally you know you have the otherness outside of the walls of Fort Salem and then yes. you get into Fort Salem and everyone is like you. And even though there's conflict, there's a solidarity in that. Yeah, so that's a- absolutely. Really cool thing. Yeah. Love Tally. Love her. But that gets us to our obligatory army basic. Let's go over some obstacle courses montage. There's one in every, every army type show, I guess, but we also get a, a great voiceover from Anacostia talking about the spree and once again highlighting that they prey on the, the ideologically vulnerable. So it's kind of like this speech to tell us what the spree are doing and what their mission is, which I still have questions, but basically their goal is to disable all of the, the military industrial complex that has arisen from Sarah Alder uh, making this deal with the Massachusetts Bay Militia. And one, you remember that what Rail said in the last scene about conscription being slavery. So basically these, this organization is trying to throw off the mantle of slavery and be free, which is a big thing in the United States in history. So also a, a really cool call back to, to that but we learned that the spree has no leader really or a, like a field like an actual army they're just these parallel hierarchies that uh, that allows them to not be scrutinized as much and to kind of slink off into the darkness and of course keep in mind we're seeing this over the montage of the the army basic training and they're all crawling in the mud and all that good stuff which i have questions about why tally didn't put her hair up but hey, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the cool part about this, that doesn't make sense, but the cool part about this is this was actually the first scene they ever shot. Yeah, that is cool. It allowed, I think it really allowed them to get the sense that uh, of camaraderie among, yeah. amongst themselves. Totally. So the first, the first scene you shoot is of all of you having to kind of work together on this obstacle course. So that is kind of cool. But after they get done running around and Anacostia gets done talking about the spree, we have a scene with them walking along and kind of joking with one another. And it's the first time you see them actually having some real camaraderie amongst the characters themselves. So 
They're just joking around about how they're going to puke and tell he's got mud in her butt. They've all got mud in their butt. But uh, then you just get this nice back and forth banter and they're walking along and guess guess who's conveniently around? Who? Um, it might be it might be Miss Silver Ransom. <gasps> I hope so. Oh, we get a music we get a music change, and then Rael sees Scylla, and she does like this. Oh, hey, it's that girl, and you can just tell that something something about to happen. So she's like, "Hey guys, you go ahead. I'm winded. I need a second. I'm just gonna like I'm gonna breathe because that was so hard back there." So they're like, whatever, and walk off. And then you see Rael basically just do a Flojo running over to <laughs> running over to see Scylla. And she's just she's she's like obviously not actually winded. <laughs> she just wants to go see this girl. Relatable. It's so relatable. This is so me as a baby gay. It's being like, oh, you guys go ahead. Um, I'm gonna run over here. <laughs> but even though so, I'm dying. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'm dying, but it doesn't it's matter. I've got, a, I've got enough stamina left to get over to talk to this girl uh, with the really pretty blue eyes. So Scylla is once again in full flirt mode. And, and Scylla's like, hey, come with me. And Rayo's like, no, I'm all gross. And Scylla's like, no, you're not. I love that line. I don't know why. I just did. Whew, the way she said it. It's expert flirting. It's expert flirting. See Scylla Ramshorn. <laughs> yeah, like, I swear they top each other all the time with their flirting, but. Yes. Uh, in any case, that convinces Rayo real quick that she's going to go with Scylla. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we go on, Scylla drops the hint because Rayo's like, wait, what are you doing? Why aren't you in the mud with us? And she's right. like, oh. I'm Necro. I'm a Necro. I'm a Necro. Like, what the hell's a Necro? And why are you not in the mud? That makes no sense. But yeah. apparently they're sequestered because they work with dead stuff. Sure. Yeah. So apparently the spooky people have to be by their spooky selves. Which we'll come back to later. We'll come but, back. Yeah. But just, yeah, we'll come back. you know, that's a nugget that's important. A little bit of nugget. Thank you for, for uh, pointing that out. Because I get excited about the gay but so they they walk off and Scylla is like hey here are these ropes why don't you put one around your ankle and Rail's like hey uh what <laughs> which would be my reaction too but you know she's gonna do it so she does it she's like kinky but okay yeah like oh already to the rope play <laughs> but she also hands her uh, this little transparent looking star that came out of a freaking Altoids tin and it said Selva on it. So Rael's like, what is this? And Scylla's like, let's do drugs. Yeah, what a first date. <laughs> I'm going to take oh, out the woods. Up, but let's do drugs. Wait, but first I'm going to tell you that I work with dead people. Oh yeah, but, <laughs> right. Right, was Rael not like, is this girl going to murder me? But I'm like, I mean, okay, sure, if she wants to murder me, like, whatever. I don't think she cares because have no. you seen Scylla? Right. You're just like, you're going to murder me, girl? All right. Let's do this. Please kill me now. Let's do it. I had the scene. I was dead. So, like, I get real. Yeah, totally for sure. But <laughs> she gives her the salva and shows her uh, by doing it to herself, putting the salva on her neck, and it just kind of disintegrates. And then her... 
Scylla's hair starts kind of floating in a, in the air, and then she starts floating. Rail uses the salva after her, and then they both start floating, and it's the most beautiful scene in this episode because they're in this really cool clearing and you get a shot of them just kind of floating in the air with each other reaching out and uh touching yeah and like the moon is filtering through the trees and it actually got on this this scene or the still from the scene got on this like buzzfeeds list of like most stunning shots in television history and it truly is absolutely beautiful like the cinematography of the show is off the charts stunning and this is one of those scenes where it's just absolutely gorgeous so you you kind of feel like there this epic moment is happening in this section of the woods with these two just like floating it's gorgeous as much as we joke about it being creepy that this girl is leading you off to take drugs and float in the air with her which it is but there's a beautiful shot in it so whatever like it's absolutely romantic and you can tell that even though Scylla doesn't know her she knew the way to get Raelle's attention real fast and it was by getting her to do something that she's not supposed to do yeah because she uses the line to get her into the woods when Raelle's hesitating she's like live a little yeah, and like, and what choice words? Because I feel like the two of them have this way of saying what the other one needs to hear without realizing it. Absolutely. Because Rael, up to this point, is very much like I'm doomed. I'm just this is my death sentence. Like my vacation, I never come back from. And here's this woman who's like, "Hey, you're alive. Like, why don't you live a little? Yeah, come, come hang out with me in the in the air. Yeah, like come live your life. You're still alive. And I think Rael really needed to hear that. And in the script for this particular scene, when they are floating in the air, Elliot makes this note where he says, this is the first time you see Rael smile. And she's actually happy in this moment. Cause up till now she's been very just down and upset and just in emotional turmoil. And here's this grieving grief that she's lost in her grief. Like she really is. She has no North star right now. And she comes to this point where she's just happy for once. Like she's finally happy. And like, she's living her life. Albeit it's a brief moment. They fall in a second, but she's happy for this like small amount of time so that's a that's a big deal for rail when i don't know like when you're grieving and stuck in that to have like a very happy moment orchestrated by somebody else like that means everything it's almost like Scylla's giving her her life back in a way yeah she is so and it makes sense for rail to become so attached to her so quickly because of that Uh and it makes sense that she would pretty much do anything Scylla says. I mean, you can tell she would pretty much do anything Scylla says at this point. But um, what you said a minute ago, they do fall because I guess the salva wears off or whatever. And then Mama Costi is there to scold them and saying like, you could have died. Go go to the infirmary right now. And you're in trouble. Which I have questions about this. So- okay. For- okay. Dr. Theodore is coming out. Dr. Theodore has a question. Yes, spoiler, spoiler. Uh, Yeah, I actually uh, am a doctor. So I have questions about this. So she scolds him about doing the salva, which still is like, oh, this is government issued. Because spoiler, you find out later that they all get issued this eventually, because this is how they drop out of helicopters without dying. So 
this is government. It's not just like drugs off the street. Like this is, <laughs> it's not, this is government issued, which means like the dose and everything is tailored to these witches. So why on earth is she freaking out about them doing solve it in the woods when it's like later on, you see them put it on and jump out of a helicopter. And no one's like, be careful. You might die. Like nobody cares or bats an eye, but here she's like freaking out about them doing this. It's just you, like, it's... say at one point that something about building up a tolerance or something. That's the only thing you could figure. Yeah, the only thing I could think of is like, do they have to? Do, do they sit them in a room like the first time they do it, and they're like, you know, tie them to the chair and put it on them so they and watch them to make sure they're not going to have anaphylaxis or like a reaction to this stuff. Like maybe the first time you try it, the effects are bigger until your body adjusts. But it seems like dropping out of helicopters is not something they do consistently. So, like, that also doesn't make sense. Because usually with drugs where you have to build a tolerance, it means you have to take it every day, pretty much. So this doesn't make a lot of sense to me why she's so mad at them. And she's like, you could have died. It's like they fell on their butts on the ground. Like, they're clearly fine. And also, like, if she's worried about them falling and hurting themselves you're a witch can't you just like heal them and they won't die it's just very it seems like an overreaction to them doing government issued drugs they all get later in the woods in a controlled environment it's just weird the only other thing i can figure is that it's the drill sergeant aspect of her being like these girls are out here disobeying orders and they need to learn a lesson thing but you can it's it also just seems like it comes from a place of worry like (laughs) what is what, why are you so mad, Anacostia? But her choice words are like, you could have died. Like, she basically yeah. says that, which leads me to believe that, like, she thinks what they were doing was really dangerous, which, how? Like, it doesn't make sense. They're going to do this later out of a helicopter. And again, no one's like, you could have died. It's like, no, we expect you to do this. Like, it's very strange. They weren't even in the air for very long. No, they were three feet off the ground. That's my point. Like the the scenario was like the safest way they could have done this. It's just they had the tether. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like if they were just floating untethered, sure. Like maybe they would have got up too high and broke their necks. But I, it just seemed like her choice words. It just seems like an overreaction. I can't merge. That's all I'm saying. It's one of those things that's just going to bother us. uh, It's one of the reasons I can't sleep at night is this moment. And there are many other moments and I will point all of them out. So you could not sleep along with me, everyone. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, you know, every show has the, has these things and whether it comes from not having enough time to explain things or whether it comes from just kind of a, a little loophole in writing. It's just, it's just the order of the day. Sometimes, sometimes writers, we writers don't get things quite right (laughs) yeah but that's that's that scene and so because we're all worried about them they end up going to the infirmary and we get we get this scene where (laughs) where again like the medic inspecting rail is like where'd you get those drugs they're dangerous like again like (laughs) i got them from you guys because like she went and bought some molly on the street guys (laughs) They're government issued. She's going to get her own container later. Like, it's like, obviously, I got it from you. Like, maybe don't give this to us if it's so dangerous. That's for another time. But anyway, so basically, she gets inspected by the medic. There's a couple of girls guarding Scylla. They're eye fucking this whole time. Yeah, good. Like, not listening the whole time. Like, Scylla's just like, I'm going to look around you while you're talking to me so that I can make eye contact with this girl. And I'm sorry, you were there. 
whatever. The the medic points out that Rail has the, the boil and she got it from a civilian and all that stuff. And she's like, yeah, yeah, he'll be a medic one day. And Rail's like, great. I've never heard that before. And then Mama Costi comes in. Yay. Dismisses whoever was guarding Scylla. Right. Who were those people? Yeah, why are they guarding Scylla? <laughs> also, like, where is Scylla's drill sergeant <laughs> is my question. Like, where is Isadora? Isadora is not introduced to later. Yeah. But we will bring her up constantly. She's the head of the Necros. Where the hell is she? She's I, I, <laughs> Okay, listen. I have so many headcanons about Isadora off screen. And I have to imagine, because like to me, Isadora is like the scientist of the lab who like never leaves the lab. And so she's one of those people who's super smart but shouldn't be in charge of people because she doesn't care. And so I have to imagine that like one of the necro minions like went to her and he's like, hey, one of your one of your girls is in the infirmary. And she's like tinkering with some lab stuff. And she's like, well, is she dead? And they're like, no, Isadora. And she's like, well, whatever, it's fine. Two girls go stand next to her, just call me when she dies. And she just goes back to her experiment. <laughs> I love her I love so it. much. I, just, I love Isadora so much. And I, like, I too have hand can- head cannons about her, like having a mushroom garden in the necro lab or something. So she just has like experiments coming out of the walls. Like, she can't control oh, God, I love her I love so her. much but anyway yes. she clearly doesn't care that her one of her necros is in the infirmary but so sends two minions and mama Castia sends them away and then starts going after Scylla which is like the most uncalled for thing I've ever seen like do they know each other because we find out later that Scylla is a second year so like she had to go through basics so have their paths crossed because it seems like Simila- Scylla just committed a war crime and Anacostia who's not her drill sergeant shows up and starts like literally threatening her and then physically hurting her because she gave Rael government drugs like it's again Anacostia overreacts to this whole situation and it's very weird like for this to be going down she's already protecting Rael on a level that does not make sense to me it does not make sense yeah it's very and like physically harm Scylla in this scene. And threatens her life. Well, again, Scylla is not listening to Mama Costia and I fucking will. But still, like, you don't have to hurt her. Like, it's so strange. And so she basically tells her, like, stay the fuck away from Rael or, like, your life depends on it. Or basically, like, aka, I'm gonna come after you. Again, because she gave her government drugs in the woods. Very strange. I I just don't get it. Why you hate Scylla so much? it's uncalled for the only thing that i can figure that even contributed to this is if they did have basic with if she did have basic with anacostia and they knew each other which it doesn't seem like they do that she would have sassed off to her enough that oh yes oh my god yeah but they'd be on a first name basis yeah anacostia'd roll up she'd roll up and be like oh Oh, it's you again again. god damn it (laughs) you know like there'd be some dialogue that indicates they know each other and Scylla was a little shit in basics because she totally would have been. Or maybe Anacostia wasn't in charge that year and she heard about how Scylla's just this troublemaker. I don't know. Doesn't make sense. I guess. Did she go talk to Isadora and Isadora's like, like, whatever, yeah. do whatever you want. Okay, so she <laughs> leave me alone with mushrooms. Whatever. We'll never find out probably. We will never know. Right. And so from there, we go back to the unit. Um, where Anacostia, I guess, leaves the infirmary and she's like, let me get Rail in more trouble and debriefs Tally and Abigail about the fact that this happened and I guess their rankings are slipping. And she basically tells them, like, you know, it doesn't look good for your unit because you're all in this together and one of you's fucking up already. And so 
Abigail's takeaway was like, fuck this. And she storms out of there to go see the HBSE. Yeah, which... Already, Abigail? I know. I can't believe it. But I can. She's like, let me go up the ladder. Come on. Yeah, so you get Abigail storming off to General Alder's office, and you imagine she got in because she's a bellwether. Because I think that anyone else would have gotten turned away. But uh, anyway, she goes into the to General Alder's office, and you see like this really cool painting, which I love that painting i kind of want it uh but you've got just this introduction to general alder's office which is like really cool and you've got all of these elderly women standing around like what is what is they were with her when she was giving her big rah-rah speech at the beginning and now they're all just sitting around her office like playing chess and knitting or whatever while abigail's talking to general alder and uh you know, they share a little small talk about uh, about Abigail's mom. So obviously, you know, we know Abigail's mom is high up in the army and that she works directly with General Alder. And that gives Abigail a certain advantage. And then that's when it happens. Abigail starts ranting and raving about, about Rael and her unit and how they're not doing well and calls her a shitbird. So that's the, the first time we really see that come up. Her calling Rael a shitbird. Oh yeah, this is the start of the animal insults. Animal insults no in Motherland are, are a thing. So It's a thing. Yeah, but Abigail insults Rael further by saying that she can't really sing the songs. But then the general comes in with uh, telling her a big story about how she had somebody like that at one point and calls her a big fat shit turkey like the person she's referring to which once again we're back to animal specifically bird insults yeah avian slang elliot were you like really on the wine one night and just riffing about birds i don't know but it's interesting so abigail gets gets finally gets down to asking for a reassignment and you immediately know that that was the wrong thing to do because we hear the biddies, all the, the, the older women we call the biddies all around her start clicking, like tongue clicking. And it's so creepy. The first time it happened in this scene, I was, I did not know what to do with myself. I was like, what is going on? But uh, you see Abigail's pretty shocked as well. And then we get the anger alder is not happy that she's has requested this and she tells her her request is denied and basically to get the hell out of her office and you're lucky i don't call your mom and tell her about this and you know that's not something abigail wants because that's even more trouble she's gonna get into yeah so abigail swiftly leaves the office in a very hurried state and then we're like the end of that scene but that's our first intro to a one-on-one with general alder and the first time we see the the biddies in action 
oh, I'm still creeped out. It's the first hint at like the link between Alder and the biddies because when they start doing the tongue clicking, like you see that Alder is mad and that provokes this like reaction from yeah, those women. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of like the first hint of that because before that, Alder was very like calm. She's clearly knows Abigail and like knows her family. They like joke about her mom's drinking habit and all this stuff. So it's just, it's only when she's like, hey, I need you to fix this. Does the biddies start getting a reaction? So I thought that was interesting and a cool hint at that. Yeah, you, you don't get a, you don't get any actual Sarah Alder history in the scene, but you get a sense of her historic importance because of the big portrait of herself and the tornadoes and other witches. It's just like, but also I have questions about why one one would have a por- huge portrait of oneself. Because it's Sarah Alder, yeah. I understand, but... I mean, it's feel like it's her office room, and it's like, look at this battle that I was yeah. a part of in my war office. So maybe, but I yeah, guess, it, but it is weird. People have, you know, like, pictures of their family, and yeah, Sarah doesn't have any family, but... Right? Here's her me family. <laughs> with my tornadoes. <laughs> Those are her babies. Her babies, all right, but... Baby, baby Nados. Yeah. Well... And I love I love General Alder, so uh, I'll give her a pass on it. But totally, that takes us uh, back to basic training with the girls, and Anacostia is informing them that your voices are your weapons. So that's our confirmation for sure that all of their vocal work is the source of their actual work, their magic, if you will. So she's telling them that they they have to be functional at all times and if they don't have their voice they have no power which is an interesting thing to say and we have their scourges which are the long leather type rope looking things with i don't know what is that a crystal on the end that's probably magically infused probably yeah it's some kind of crystal on the end and so they're sparring and it's just a really nice little scene of them all training. So you get the sense from here that, yeah, vocal work is important, but they also have, like, physical weapons. So that's yeah. kind of what's happening here. And then you, you kind of see Abigail's level of, she's probably been doing this for her entire life because yeah. she takes tally off of her feet really easily. Exactly. She already knows how to work the scourge, so. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So from that scene, we go back to the sick bay and rail bathing in her yellow tint. So lesbian Jesus. Jesus. Hydrate yourselves. Yes. And she's basically on the bed. I guess Scylla's gone because they're not eye fucking. And she's on this bed littered with all those letters that came from the mysterious package that I have my own conspiracy theory about. And she's reading one of them and she looks upset. So we're back to grieving Rael. And she picks up one in particular and traces the rune on the bottom. And we get one of the coolest aspects of their magic, which I guess when somebody writes you a letter who's a witch, they can put this little rune on the bottom and basically like you're transported into that letter writer narrating and showing you what was going on at the time. So we are transported into Mama Collar's point of view. Um, and basically this is, I guess, one of her last letters that she ever sent Rael. And she's in this really grimy looking makeshift undercover sick bay. It's dark and gross and there's just like fluid bags tethered to poles and cots and there's bodies and she walks down this hall hall past all these gurneys and kind of goes outside and like watches these women 
covering up the bunker with this storm, basically. And while this is all happening, she explains to Rael, like, her last mission. She's like, we were dropped here under this monsoon they're manufacturing, but this spree is after us. They know we're here. And she gets this sense that, like, this mission's doomed, basically. And she really wholeheartedly says, I really hope this is not your experience. And I truly believe that Mama Collar really does feel that she doesn't want Rael to go through this at all. And this is possibly where Rael gets her mindset from about not wanting to be here. And in this scene at the end, she concludes by saying, I blame our leader who endangered us multiple times, including this. Um, and she calls her her high haughtiness general Petra Bellwether, dun, dun, dun. Which, which is Abigail's mama. So now, ding, 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 gloves are off. And now Rael has somebody to focus all of her anger at, which yep. is the reason her mom died, which is Mama Bellwether. But I have to say this scene reminded me of trench warfare in World War One because it was just so nasty and so unforgiving looking. You just had a sense of the misery. They did a really good job of portraying oh, that. Just 100%. How realistically miserable it looked. Even, even oh, what is her name She that plays Mama Collar? I cannot remember her name off the top of my head. But anyway, she just, oh my God, her face. You can just tell how miserable she is. Yeah, because, and I think this is why they showed us earlier a picture of Mama Collar, like when Rail was looking at it before she was conscripted, like this, she looked really happy and bright and just full of life. And then you see her in this, in what's probably her final moments. She just looks bags under her eyes, grimy, dead tired. She's like slumped on that wall when she's looking outside. Like used up. That's the word. She just looks used up. Exactly what Rael said to Abigail earlier. My mom was tired. I think she just wanted to get out of there and come home. And you you see that manifested in this letter. Like, Mama Collar does not want to be there at all. And she just looks beyond exhausted. You absolutely so. get why Rael is so angry in the next scene. Which, she storms out of the sick bay and into training pissed off and hot as hell because pissed off rail is is sexy let's just lesbian jesus being angry i love it let's have more of it we will uh so you have abigail and tally are in the middle of, of sparring with one another and rail comes in and is just like I'm here and I'm going to fuck you up, basically. <laughs> this is her attitude. So they get into this little uh, banter off where Abigail keeps getting triggered and she's triggering Rael back in return. And then they start actually fighting. And Mama Costi is just kind of standing to the side. She's like, I'm going to see what happens here. She's, ha she's kind of like having the time of her life, enjoying seeing them get their emotions up. Because I think that she thinks something's going to come out of it, which it is. So they just, they do their little fight and Rael starts uh, talking about how Petra, Abigail's mom, was the CEO on her mom's last campaign. She's blaming Petra for her mother's demise. And Abigail is just making it worse. And we're back to, do you know how to talk to people, Abigail? Because apparently not. So it just keeps building and building. And I love about this scene is how their, their voices are augmented. You can tell the emotions are just pushing them to use work 
to the point where the building is just shaking. There's weather going on outside from Abigail and Rael's uh, work is in action as well. And then once it gets to a point where things are going to, they're going to have some problems. Anacostia is like, all right, that's it. And pulls them apart. And we have Abigail and Rael storm away. And Anacostia just casually mentions to Tally that Abigail requested reassignment. And you can just tell that Tally is, is broken. She's, she's a little broken hearted about that. And my question is, uh, Anacostia, were you just trying to stir up drama or did you have a motive? Was this to motivate them in some way? I don't understand. So. I know because like somebody rushes in to break up Abigail and Rail, and Anacostia throws her arm out. She's like, no, 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 let's, let's, no, no. Let's, let's look. There's a hurricane, there's a class five hurricane coming at this building, but whatever, let's just see what happens. And then how dare you break poor Tally's heart at the end? Because up till now, up till now, all the friction you see is mostly driven by Abigail, not, yeah, Abigail and Rael. And poor Tally's like kind of in the background being the good little like Tally pacifist. And she's just like, what, what is happening? Like Tally's clearly trying her hardest. And like these two girls are ruining Tally's chance at like being a soldier. And it's just like, everything seems like it's falling apart for them. Yeah, basically. so it's not even about... Abigail and Rael, they're the ones ruining stuff. And Tally's just over here like, hey, guys, uh, I'm a person, too. And I exist. And y'all are screwing this up for me. But the next scene is when we go back to the barracks. And Tally does confront Abigail about what Anacostia just told her. And you can tell that this is the first time that we see Tally all pissed off. And she's like, so your request got denied. And Abigail gets triggered. And they have a little uh, back and forth for a moment. But then Tally is like, you know what? You're both weak. Rael's avoiding responsibility. And you're superior as hell. I'm the one that should get out of this. Which, girl, you're right. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's right. Like, Tally is the one who's doing everything right. Like, Abigail tried to bail. And Rael's, like, off in her own gay little whatever and it's like yep whatever good for you tally for good for you i love that tally you tally has a backbone and everyone should know it indeed and so rail is not in the scene because she fucked off and (laughs) isn't in scylla's room which interesting that she gets i guess the necros are so sequestered they get their own private yeah about you go interesting way to i guess date necros in the army yeah that's you date a necro you get privacy you get privacy it's the only way you get privacy so they're in like they're in their room and like Scylla's in front of the mirror I don't know what she's doing she's like playing with her hair I don't, but it's for an inordinately she, long time <laughs> like she's not even fixing it she's just like picking up hair and then putting it it's very strange but whatever she's playing with her hair and Rail's in the background over her shoulder like in the mirror so she's like talking to Rail. they're making eyes and basically she calls Rail out for being an idiot she's like okay you're gonna blow yourself up and just die like what are you doing that's not a plan that's just dumb but she uses the line, your plan is hot garbage. And I love it that. <laughs> it's hot garbage. And she's like, okay, so you're just going to die and waste all that beauty and fury. Like, what are you doing? That got Rael's attention. Well, they catch eyes in the mirror. So gay staring happens while Scylla's doing whatever her hair twirls are all about. <laughs> and Rael's just like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And so Scylla kind of keeps challenging her on this until Rael's like, well, you know, I hate to break it to you. 
beautiful, but like, there's no way out. Like, this is the way it is. And that's, that's how Rayo feels about the army. And Scylla flips it around and is like, well, it's not the only way. Basically, I know a different way. I'm sure and you do, Scylla. I'm sure you do. So her next move, of course, is to kiss Rayo. <laughs> which okay sure that that's one way out of this i guess actually surprises lesbian jesus for once it surprises scylla too because mm-hmm. you see her eyebrow raised yeah. in the middle of the kiss because she's like whoa whoa wait a minute now yes and then we get a scene where elliot basically said okay for all those out there who are confused by the flirting and the magical floating as like scylla being a good ambassador for the army um, they were flirting. Let me clear this up right now and have them fuck against a wall because <laughs> yeah, so basically that happens. And then Raelle is like, okay, um, now talk to me. <laughs> Poor Scylla's like, oh god damn it. Like <laughs> because Raelle, being lesbian Jesus, like turns the magic up to like eleven. And Anyway, so they're fucking against a wall, and Porcel is trying to be like, uh, well, like, let them train you, make them make you stronger, and like use it against them, basically, is what she's saying. And Rael's like, uh-huh, keep going. And she gives her this phrase that will come up again later where she says, The way uh, um the way over is under, and the way out is Rael finishes the induendo as mm. in. Yes. And in the script, it says that at this point. Rael brings Scylla to fruition in this particular moment, which is not only biologically impossible, but again, she's lesbian Jesus, so she has powers us mere mortals don't have. So yes, I believe that Scylla got it right then and there, because lesbian Jesus. I really think this scene is just, is Elliot's way of saying, hey, these are not just gals being pals. No. These are uh, some genuine queer ladies who are just going to go for it. He's like, this is the couple. Here it is. I'm clearing that up right now. Which, okay, was very weird for me. Because, like, in, if you're not queer or used to queer content, this never happens no, in the first it doesn't. episode of a show ever. It's going to be, like, three years and maybe they'll kiss. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then there's, like, there's a crap ton of uh, subtext before that, but you're never going to yeah. get it. Until... No, they kiss and then someone dies and that's yeah, the end. That's so the end. this was, like, wow, okay, we're already here. It's episode one, we're already here. Thank you, Elliot, for that. But I also just was, like, holding my breath saying, please don't let her die or be, like, you know, whatever. I'm so used to being disappointed. Yes, but this is a happy scene, and we go from this lesbian Jesus scene to back to cor- uh, coral, coral? Vocal, coral training again. Training. I can't words. We go back to vocal training, where essentially the unit is uh, in front of like a pool of water, and they're doing sound seed 32, and they kind of start going together, and basically like. Rael has struggles for a minute while Abigail and Tally are doing well, and then she kind of gets a hold of the seed, and you start seeing this um, tuning fork, a giant tuning fork in the middle of them, sorry, not water, starts glowing the minute Rael gets the seed, so all three of them are doing the right seed. And you start seeing how powerful this unit really can be, because by the end of it, all the officers are shocked at what they just did, because they create this time portal or whatever it is that's hovering above them, 
And you get the sense that this unit, when they actually work together, is something special because they even get a well done from Mama Caspia. That's a big deal. Yeah, you can see how happy she is that they've they've done something so like really amazing. And everyone yeah. everyone is surprised. The other cadets are surprised. They themselves are surprised. And it looks like some weird magnetic sand things in the air and it just keeps uh i was like is this thing gonna explode are we gonna have balloons 2.0 but <laughs> anyway it was just a really cool scene and I, I really liked it so after that they go to dinner and tally we get a really good uh, a really good scene with her being the actual human exclamation point she's just going on about how well they did and how the other officer how the older officers were impressed and haven't heard harmonics like that in decades like oh my god we're so special and uh anyway she's uh doing a little friendship unit matchmaking and excuses herself so that they can have a little talk and rail after her encounter with Scylla and her advice while they were you know gals being pals against a wall kind of relents in her fight with abigail and <laughs> just is like okay fine let's let's make peace they're both conceding okay so we're really awesome when we work together let's make peace they shake on it and uh you kind of get this line from rail that is like so like she practiced it before she said it, it it's so stiff and <laughs> so that it ends that scene where they're like oh okay we're gonna be friends and you're like okay fine whatever sure but uh then they're they're back at the barracks and uh you have rail who's putting up all of her postcards from mom and tally just slips right in to get the gossip uh because abigail's in the shower we've got seven minutes so you have a sense that tally uh and rael are going to enjoy this little vacation from abigail so they have a little heart to heart during this scene and tally asks about the battle charm and rael explains that her her dad gave it to her it's the bowerbird's foot they love anything blue do you know anything blue I do. Scylla's eyes. But anyway, Rael talks about how it's been in the family for generations and it's supposed to keep you safe in battle. And Rael admits that she wanted to ask her dad why her mom wasn't wearing it and how come it didn't work for her. And it's a little heartbreaking because it's just you get a sense of Rael's relationship with her dad and how she loves him but she kind of holds back her true feelings because she doesn't want him to worry and she doesn't want to cause him pain so she and tally hug it out and it's a really sweet scene i really love that they bonded like that it was just precious yeah it's a very tally thing to do because again up until this point poor Raelle hasn't really talked about her mom to anybody and you know the biggest thing we got was her literally fighting with abigail over it like physically fighting and so when you see Tally's response is to like hug her and be like an empathetic person. Mm -hmm. So, because again, you get the sense from Tally that Tally really loves her mom, even though they don't, they're on opposite sides of this whole thing. And Abigail, I'm sure, loves her mother too, but it's they, they their expression is very different. It's very like stiff and like non emotional. And, but you know, I feel like 
Rail needed this, and and you get the sense that Rail also has this thing weighing on her all the time about well, why did my mom die? Like, why? Like, she had the battle charm. It should have protected her. Why is she not here with me? You know, so it's it's a heartbreaking scene for sure. It is. It's just Rail questioning. You finally see Rail. Rail's intern, like that center of her emotions where she's just questioning why this happened. Yeah. And Tally, leave it to Tally to bring out the emotions in anybody. Yeah, it's very sweet with and indicative of both of their characters for sure. And then from there we get the last scene, which is the oh shit reveal scene. So we basically we basically get the spray music playing. We cut into a room with the creepy redhead with perfect casting, being creepy in a mirror with a balloon. Girl, what are you doing there? Uh, what what are you doing with this balloon? And she's like moving her head and the, the balloon moves with her. It's never explained. It's never explained. Weird. It is so creepy. So, like, is she controlling the balloon? Is it controlling her? We'll never know. So it doesn't matter. But then you get Rael walking through Fort Salem and walks past creepy Redhead's room. A coin falls because it was charmed and Redhead panics, lights her face on fire. Rael gets closer and closer to Redhead's room. And by the time Rael gets to the door, we see that it's Scylla, who is actually creepy Redhead girl. Scylla is the mall attacker. And Rael kisses Scylla, goes into her room, and that's the end of the scene. And end of the episode. I remember watching this for the first time in my super gay brain. The first thought I had was, please, no offense to the redhead girl, but let her uh, real appearance be the actual Scylla. Yeah. Let it be Amalia. I had questions about this because when in the beginning... When we have the mall attack, it's the white girl with the brown hair, hazel eyes. Then she gets into the car after it ends and lights her face on fire, which is like changing back to who you are, right? And she changes into the redhead with the creepy blue eyes and drives away into the blizzard. Why didn't she change into Scylla, aka Amalia Holmes's face? Why was she the redhead in the drive-away scene if her real features are Amalia Holmes's features. It was a weird flex for no one. Like, there's nobody in that car. There was no balloon. What, who is she Could they not for? get the first actress to, to do the other scenes? Is it something I, with the scheduling? I don't well, understand. Okay, I understand from a storytelling perspective, it's a bigger shock to have Amalia Holmes at the end rather than show her in the car and be like, right, oh, it's the girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But from Scylla's point of view, like, why, why was she doing that? That makes seems it makes like a sense. very... It was a weird thing to do. Sure, her in the in the room later being like, yeah, like, look at my other face. Like, I'm so cool. Sure. But the part in the car was just weird. Like, why not go back into your regular face? Like, nobody was on the road. She was in a blizzard. It was just weird. But yeah, I had, this, I had the same thought. I'm like, what's her real face? Because the car thing really threw me off. It's unfortunate that it confused people. And <sighs> because the connection between... Mall girl, redhead girl, Scylla. Like, oh, huh? I I mean, I got that part. Like, they made that very clear where they're like, here's the redhead yeah, in the but- car. Here's Amalia Holmes. They're the same person. But why on earth was she doing that by herself in no, the car? No, it doesn't make like, sense. It doesn't make any but sense. But my friends who asked me afterwards were like, wait a minute. I don't understand. Who was who this person and who is this person? Because it confused them, the switch. 
Totally. Yeah, it's confusing. What's her real face was my question at the end of this episode, just like you. I'm like, what does she really look like? Because now I'm confused. And mine is, please let it be Amalia Holm, because... Look I mean, her name home. was in the opening credits. So I'm like, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the face. But... Yeah, but I didn't see the, I didn't watch the actual names in the opening credits the first time. Her name is first. I didn't but, yeah. like record the names in my ADHD brain. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's, that's episode one. I'm not one. cool like you, Theora. <laughs> hey, I was also confused by the face switching thing. I was like, because again, it doesn't make sense for her. When, when you're alone in the car, wouldn't you turn back to your regular face? Like, thing number, no cops. This is just thing number 5,962 we need to ask Elliot. I know. I just Again, I understand for the story trailing reveal, but like for also still is a bad spy. So like, I don't, <sighs> I also don't put it past her to be like, let me do this for no reason. Because we'll get into that. Also, okay, listen, sometime. I believe that she's dramatic for no possible reason because- Again, like she dropped the balloon from the heavens to greet her in a mall. So she's just super extra. So she's, yeah, Phil is just super extra. And that's the, she's extra. That's the thing. Where... And also like she's super powerful. And she's like, I can do this because I can. Yeah. So, I mean, I I'm, don't need to explain myself, which I'm so right, girl, cool. You don't need to explain yourself. Right. It's fine. Well played. So, yeah. How's the end of the episode? What'd you think? Oh my God. It was so much. There was so much to unpack and it was so good. They had me hooked immediately. They had me hooked in the first scene and then the gay came and hooked me even further. And I love the characters. And then the end of this episode, I'm going to be honest, scared me a little bit, but also at the same time, I was like, I have to know what happens. Yes. And that's when you know, it's a good show and you have to keep watching. Yeah. They, they hook you and keep you forever so who knows so 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 good all right so before we wrap up this incredible pilot uh because there is a lot going on in all of these episodes we kind of wanted to just take a step back and like highlight our like most important parts of the episode to take away from all of this because there is so much happening so would you like to give your top five takeaways from this episode uh, so you, the background of all of the units. So we get our main unit and their backgrounds being uh, rails from like the humble, poor part of the country and tallies from the no dudes matrifocal. And then you've got Abigail being from the high and mighty and they're in conflict. But when they do actually work together, they're an actual unit and they can do amazing things. So that's a huge, uh, huge takeaway. Then there, there's, there's the spree. We get introduced to the spree in the first scene, and they are not a not above using violence to get what they want. Then we meet Sarah Alder, very important person in this series, as she started it all. And you, we don't get a lot of her, but what we do get is very interesting, and we we see her with the biddies. So. That and, uh, you know, you get the relationship starting between Rail and Scylla and it's just, it's really fast right away. Like that first day or they just going at it and uh, we f- we're going to find out later how important that relationship is. Yeah, all really good main points. I would just like to add also important point, witches exist. Oh yeah, witches exist, guys. Witches exist, number one. Number two... Because witches exist and Sarah Alder made this deal, apparently that put America on this alternate universe trajectory, which is the world that's slowly being revealed to us. With less technology? 
we don't know what time it is because if malls are crowded and televisions look like the first televisions ever and there's only news there's only news we don't even know if tv shows exist <laughs> um so yeah there's there's a lot of it gives you the sense that while Elliot's giving us pieces of the world there's a lot about this America and this earth that we just don't know about yet and we get a sense of all of that in this first episode it's a huge world it's it's like world it's ginormous rpg type Woo! love it indeed and so there's plenty more of that to come when we get to our next episode but we also have to give out our award yes the award for the biggest witch energy yes so call back to the title of this podcast so at the end of the episode we thought it prudent to award the witch that really embodied big witch energy the most for this episode and so this is something we'll be doing at the end of every episode and giving our supporting argument for why we chose who we chose and you can either agree with us or disagree with us or nominate somebody else please let us know yes please Uh, tell us yes and so i'm gonna go first yes do it so in this episode i have to give the biggest witch energy award to rail collar because of all the lesbian jesus stuff (laughs) re-listen to all of this if you want those points Her verbal sparring with Abigail, who we know is like this big person in the whole army community, and Rael just went toe-to-toe with her the entire time. And if you don't agree with me, call back to Rael. Call the commander-in-chief, because (laughs) that line was so good. She gets it just for that line, but there's plenty of reasons. Uh, Her sass, her fearlessness, just... Rail, I have to go to Rail this episode. Uh, I see. I see why you picked Rail, but I'm gonna have to go with somebody else because I have to pick Scylla because she just killed thousands of people with a balloon. Number one. Number two, she immediately gets lesbian Jesus up against the wall. Like, girl, the Salvacine, come on everything she does is big witch energy like you said she made a freaking balloon go through a building without like inexplicably so yeah there is no logic behind that (laughs) no there isn't yeah so i have to give it to Scylla. that's fair all right everybody listening let us know rail Scylla, somebody else yes tell us your choice yeah but yeah i'll wrap things up for us And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. And please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out. Yes, and please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout out on the air. You can find us at all the things Twitter at Big Gay Energy Pod, Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod, Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod, or you can email us at biggayenergypod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.